It's time to accelerate. Hey friends, this is Andy. Welcome to episode 493 of Accelerate, the sales podcast of record, where I hold in-depth conversations with today's leading experts in sales, marketing, and leadership six days a week. Joining me on the show today is Fred Miller. He's the author of a new book, The No Sweat Elevator Speech, How to Craft Your Elevator Speech Floor by Floor with No Sweat. Now, as much as we don't want to pitch buyers, there are times when we need to be able to quickly and clearly and succinctly tell people what we do and the value that we bring to them. And we need to do this in a way that invites them to want to continue the conversation. I read Fred's book about his elevator speech and I wanted to bring him on Accelerate to talk about a really easy system he has for developing a truly effective elevator speech. So before I bring Fred on first, I want to ask you if you can, please take a second if you value the show and if you haven't done so already, please visit iTunes or wherever you listen to Accelerate and subscribe. And if you like Accelerate, or maybe even if you don't, please leave us a review. We want to hear from you about what we can do this make this even a more valuable listening experience for you. So now let's jump into the talk with Fred. Fred, welcome to Accelerate. Oh, thanks for having me, Andy. So you have this great new book out, No Sweat Elevator Speech. How the no? Well, the no. Say that again. The No Sweat Elevator Speech. How to craft your elevator speech floor by floor with no sweat. So you've got your tagline in there multiple times. That's that's good. No sweat. No sweat. Right. <laughs> people people like taglines, don't they, Andy? It's something they remember. If yeah, both good and bad, I think. But yes, certainly. So no sweat. Now, how long you've been using that as your tagline? Well, I published my first book in 2011. That was No Sweat Public Speaking and did this one a few years ago. And I, I like that No Sweat, kind of use that as a branding tool. I've got a third book as a Kindle. I need to make it a paperback, and that's No Sweat Fear of Public Speaking. And I need to you know, make that a paperback. And uh, But I can use that No Sweat, I think, for a variety of things. You know, You want to have something that conjures up a little emotion with people. All right, well, we're going to talk about elevator speeches here. Now, we have largely a sales audience, sales marketing, uh, yeah. entrepreneurial audience, and you know, obviously everybody's heard about an, an elevator speech. But I guess having heard about it and thinking they know what it, <clears throat> excuse me, thinking they know what it is versus actually knowing. So, what's your definition of an elevator speech? Well, it's that personal infomercial that answers the question: Who are you and what you do? And we're, most of us who network, and that's what salespeople do, you see a situation where there's a program at noon and the instructions are to arrive early and network. And sometimes that elevator speech is given in a group session. Sometimes it's one-on-one. -on -one. It may be one of those networking events where the leader says, you know what, before we get started, we're, we're going to go around the room. When it's your turn, stand up. Tell us who you are, what you do, give us your elevator speech. And, and most people struggle with that, don't they, Andy? I mean, I did for years. Well, yeah, I guess well, one of the things that people struggle with is this whole idea of do they work? I mean, certainly increasingly, at least in sales, people are being trained is that when they first have that first you know, order of engagement with a the first moment of engagement with a potential prospect is that they really should be leading with a question more so than leading with their pitch. Well, you can do that on some. That's a good point. But you have to decide, first of all, what your goal is. And the ultimate goal with the elevator speech is to have a future conversation. Sure, just like a question, which is to have a conversation, right? 
Exactly. And you have two audiences. You have the group audience and you have the one-on-one. And those, are, those the one-on-ones happen before that event. Or sometimes they even happen, you're in line at the, the theater. And somebody says, uh, my name is Bobby. I work in the paint department over at Home Depot. What do you do? But the goal with the elevator speech for both of the groups, uh, first of all, you want people to hear it to know exactly what you do. Clarity is not optional. So ideally, you're giving your elevator speech, Andy, and the guy is thinking, I need to talk to him right now. In fact, if he hasn't stopped talking, I'm going to grab him off the stage. I'm going to talk to him. Second thing might be, I know what he does, but I don't need that product or service now. But if I ever do, I'd be very comfortable talking to Andy about that. Sounds like an expert. Sounds like he knows his stuff. And equally important, and this is for the group or the one-on-one, I would be very comfortable referring Andy. My radar is now up. I know exactly what he does. And if somebody says, I'm looking for that product or service, I'll put both of them together and they'll both thank me. But this is important. With the one-on-one you want to also disqualify. Sure. Everyone, everyone's not a prospect for what you offer. You're not going to buy everything offered to you, right, Andy? Well, yeah, before we get to that, I mean, let's, let's take a step back. So, so there's sort of negative connotation with the word pitch, right? I mean, people don't like no, that's to why on- I call it an elevator speech. You know, I, I think of the pitch as being for a product. They talk about pitching a product or an idea to a venture group. I think that that's a little bit different than an elevator speech. Okay, that's, well, that's a great distinction. I like that. So how are they different? Well, here again, the pitch, and again, you think of going before venture capitalists, and you want them to invest money. With that speech, I want to have a future conversation, either with them, where this is done a sort of a sorting and sifting, or with somebody that they may refer to me. And, and again, in all of these, clarity is not optional. But I do like what you said initially when we started the conversation, starting that with a question, because we both agree that a lot of times you want to disqualify. Everybody's not that prospect. You don't want to waste major time on minor possibilities, your time or their time. Now, let me give an example. I remember going to a Chamber of Commerce meeting, and the, the instructions were arrive early and network. And there was a young lady there selling replacement windows for older homes. She had a great elevator speech. It was really good. I was familiar with the manufacturer of the windows very upscale, great window. And she had very well down, even the company she was working with had a great reputation. The problem was she was giving this elevator speech to each and every person she met individually. And there were people she was talking to who rented apartments, rented their homes, had a new home with new windows. And quite frankly, these were very high-end windows, were not prospects. They were not going to be able to buy her windows. And she was wasting their time and her time. You've been in those situations, haven't you? Well, it sounds like she was pitching, not giving a speech. Well, we called them elevator speeches. And maybe, <laughs> you know, first let me say, <laughs> my your, way is not point, the only right? way. <laughs> well, no, but <laughs> yeah, I, think, I think this is an important thing, because I think this is, this is a challenge that, that you know, anybody in business that's selling something or influencing people, that, or they have to... You know, create strong first impressions. They need to be able to connect with people. This is one of the single biggest challenges that exists out there. Is this you know this initial moment of interaction, and you know the impact both from a, a negative and a positive negative standpoint, but also really a decisive standpoint. I mean, deals are won and lost oftentimes based on that first 
interaction, this this elevator speech, as you said. I, I like that positioning. I mean, I'd almost be tempted to call it an elevator story, right? As opposed to an elevator pitch, which, yeah, people well, like, I like, like people, people like stories. They don't necessarily like pitches. No, but they love stories. And you're right. It's all about the story. And that's why uh, giving an elevator speech is a mini presentation. And people have a fear of public speaking. But it's a mini presentation. So what reason a lot of people avoid elevator speeches and giving presentations is that fear of public speaking. Uh, you also made a point there. There's two, there's two components to an elevator speech or a regular speech. There's the content and delivery. Delivery trumps, no pun intended to our present president, but delivery trumps content. And it's not just what you say, but the way you say it. Let me, let me give a quick example of a non-elevator speech which uh, you're going to love this. I, I had an older car. It was a uh, old Ford Explorer, and I needed brakes. I had 138,000 miles, and I put out the word to friends and family, do you know an independent mechanic? I didn't want to go to a dealer. And I got Danny's name. And Danny worked for a well-known independent garage, and he had the owner's permission to moonlight on the side. And Danny calls me up, and I told him why he needed He says, okay, I can do that. And then I started asking all these questions, Andy, about cars. I know nothing about cars. <laughs> and after about four questions, he stopped me. He said, Fred, I went to Rankin Technical School. Now, here in St. Louis, it's a technical school that has a national reputation. And then he says, I'm ASE certified. And if you've ever gone to a professional garage, you'll see that mm -hmm. blue and white logo. He says, you're in good hands. That was it. I went to Rankin, I'm ASE certified, you're in good hands. My next statement was, uh, can, can you do this Saturday, Danny? <laughs> well, but see, he, he had an interesting twist there, though, at the end, that, that and you know, not to preempt what we'll talk about coming up in the show, but, but which was this assurance, right? You're in good hands. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, that's, that is something that is... is very powerful and and very difficult for you know most people in that situation to speak with sort of that level of assurance about what they do, the value they provide to the customer. Right? And to me, you know, when you talk about the difficulties people have with their elevator speeches, elevator stories, <laughs> elevator pitches, whatever, whatever we're going to call them, is that yeah, pirates fear of speaking up, pirates fear of speaking about themselves. And part of it is this lack of confidence in what it is that they are talking about, in the value that they deliver. Clearly, Danny had no qualms about that. He knew the value he delivered. And that assurance, I mean, to me, that's that's the powerful part. That's got that's the part that got you to more than saying he was ace, yeah, ace is qualified or or whatever it was, you're in good hands. Oh, and my next statement, can we do this Saturday? I never sure. even asked the price. I, I could care less. And I worked with the guy for a long time and we'd go out and buy parts. And I didn't care whether he picked out the most expensive or the cheapest. I, I just trusted him. In fact, it, it got to one point, he was so honest, he said, he said, I got to tell you, Fred, your, your next repair is going to cost more than this vehicle is worth. Well, I would have thought 138,000 miles, almost any repair was, was worth more than the car. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love the car. You know, it had some dents. That's not all bad. You pull into a parking spot and the people on either side leave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was going to say, I, you avoid those people at the mall, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. But anyway, uh, and I'm sure you pay taxes. Remember the Cash for Clunker program? 
Yeah, yeah, vaguely well, right. Thank you. That I trade in my car. But that that just epitomized what a great elevator speech should be. And you're right. That's the way he said. With that confidence, there was nothing to question with the guy. I loved it. Well, you were inspired by the word elevator, you know, when you talk about how you structured your book into the various chapters and so on, to sort of frame the idea of how to create and give an elevator speech. And I thought it'd be fun to sort of go through that because um, – in the process, we're going to learn your elevator speech too. But, but uh, yeah, so you have a very step by step methodical process to go through to to build it. So as you talk about, you know, you're going to get in the elevator. You're on the first floor, and so on the first floor, the first you know part of developing your, your elevator speech, your elevator story, is you have to describe who you are. And you start with your name. Now, and I've got a very simple name. I'm Fred Miller. I I'm have in, a friend. I'm Ball. Not much. Sim- yeah, of you're course, right. Mine, mine is inherently <laughs> confusing because it's two first names. But yeah, go ahead. Well, it is simple. But I have a friend whose name is Mike Ramatoski, <laughs> and my my advice to Mike is say hi. My name is Mike, because people are going to be thinking. Let's see, is it S K Y S K I? What's the derivation? And they're going to miss the rest of the speech. I, I developed an elevator speech template that has seven or eight floors, and. If they're thinking about your first name, they're going to miss the rest of those floors. So it's imperative not to <laughs> to make it real simple. Otherwise, you're throwing them a curve right away. Well, so but, they may just want to say, you know, my name's Andy or my name's Fred. Well, I, let's let's unpack that for a second because you know part of what you're doing is you're describing who you are. Is is your name is who you are? I mean, sometimes that's distinctive. I understand you don't want to distract people with necessarily if you think your last name is complicated, but but. Doesn't it you know, help fill out the picture of who you are? Well, it depends. <laughs> it could be a distraction. Like I say, my way is not the only way. But I know when I heard that name, I was trying to figure out what's the derivation. Uh, simple is better. You know, in terms of language, in terms of the way you look, a lot of things to, in terms of presentations. Okay. You know, so things Zen-like. Yeah. All right. So first name only, a little informal. But that can be okay as well, depending on the audience. All right, so that's your first floor. Now, is there anything else you need to add in your description of who you are other than just your name? Well, I've got eight floors here. And oh, the I know, second floor I, is... Let's, no, let's just stay on the first floor, though, because right. you're describing who you are. So who you are, really, first floor is just the name. Uh, that's the way I have it, but, you know, is, again... Is there... I mean, it's funny that you... And part of the reason I was asking that question is... is yeah, oftentimes when I hear people give elevator pitches, they skip that. You know, they jump right to what they do. Oh, okay. And, well. and you know, I think that's problematic. I mean, I think there's, again, a, there's something sort of grounding in my mind about letting people know who you are. And certainly it helps make your name a little more memorable, I guess. So, Well, one of the points of this template, though, is that you could start on uh, one floor and go down. You can skip floors. Uh, again, it, it's a flexible thing. I, I built a template based on two words, elevator, build it by the floor. You don't have to take everyone to the top floor with you. Everyone doesn't want to go there. And speech, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. A speech is a mini presentation. And if, if you've ever heard me speak, read any of my stuff, my mantra is speaking opportunities are business, career, and leadership opportunities. No one ever questions that. And that's uh, an elevator speech is a speaking opportunity. Does that ring true with you, Andy? An elevator pitch is a speaking opportunity. Yeah, speaking opportunity. It's a business opportunity. Yeah, that's all those, right? Sure. 
All right. So second floor, then, if we get to the second floor, second floor is <clears throat> you've described who you are in the first floor. Second floor, describe what you do. And before we talk about your elevator speeches, you have your rule that you talk about the rule of threes. So explain what the rule of threes is. Three is magic. Yeah, think about it. You know, three strikes you're out, third time's a charm, uh, three wise men. But in terms of public speaking and giving elevator speeches, present many presentations, three gives completeness. And, and let me give you an example. Uh, one for emphasis. You know, Skype is a great way to record something across the world. Uh, two for comparison. Hot, cold, up, down, fast, slow. Three for completeness. And I'll give some examples in a moment. Four or more for a list, shopping list or a to-do list. So three, my three are, I'm a speaker, coach, and an author. But let me make some more examples of three. Speaking opportunities are business, career, and leadership opportunities. If we want the audience to get it, we need to educate, entertain, and explain. Three gives completeness, and we do a lot of this intuitively, but now that you know it, you'll take two and you'll goose it up to three, uh, four or more, you'll bring it down. Well, okay. So is there, you know, you talk about the magic of three. I mean, is there some neuroscience or social psychology, you know, research into the power of threes? Because it's not, you know, it's not unknown. People talk about when you present pricing, always present three options, right? Um, it goes back to that. Well, yeah, that's a little bit different. I understand. Go pick sure. the middle one. But but three is completeness. That, that's what people can remember. And and I always say, who does more than one thing? Who does more than two? You know, some people say they do five, six things. And if you start adding things on, they'll figure, well, maybe they change, change oil. They'll uh, wash your windows. But three gives completeness. And, and have those three related and have them start with the first one, your money piece. You have to have your money piece in place. Second one might be your passion. And the third one, that's your choice, but they have to be related. So when I say I'm a speaker, a coach, and an author, uh, people should be thinking, what's he speak about? What, what does he coach? And what has he written? Right. And those and, three are all related. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing that strikes me is they're also very concise. And this is where I get back to time and time again, from my perspective, with elevator pitches is, you know, being economical with your words is really important. And... You talk about in your book that there's the three enables you to to speak with a certain cadence that that perhaps makes it more memorable. Oh, absolutely. And you want people to remember it, and clarity is not optional. You want to use simple words because if somebody's sitting there thinking, I have no idea what that is, <laughs> well, they're definitely not going to hire you and they're not going to refer you. You know, if somebody says, well, I'm, I'm an engineer, what kind of engineer? Mechanical? Uh, technical choo-choo, <laughs> you know, uh, systems engineer. What kind of systems? River systems, digestive systems. You want people to know exactly what you do right away because people will not ask. You know, we, we see the emperor with no clothes, but nobody says anything. And if you've got some highfalutin term that nobody knows what it is and you think that's going to impress people, it won't. It makes them feel stupid. Nobody likes to feel stupid, right? Yeah, so exactly. No one likes to feel stupid. So it, it's it's sort of like having one of those V8 moments, you know, forehead slapping, you know, I could have had a V8 yeah, type thing. Yeah, I like that. Is, so it has to be intuitively obvious to people exactly what you do. Yes. All right, so now we described who we are, what we do, third floor, fourth floor. 
sort of more about our expertise and experience. So third floor, you say to describe your experience and well, how's, what's the best way to do that without being lengthy is to choose, you know, one thing out of your, your resume, one thing that you are most passionate about, one thing that's the most prominent solution your company sells. What, you know, what is that? Well, you want people to be understand it. And, and one good thing to say is the title of my first book is, this is why I say the title of my first book is No Sweat Public Speaking. Everyone has a book in them, and they may not have written it yet. So it might be the title of my upcoming book is. Now, it doesn't have to be book, but let's talk about books for a moment. We perceive people who've written a book, authors, as experts. Correct? Well, yeah, <laughs> I, I hope so. Yeah. Well, as, exactly. an author, as an author, you hope so, yes. Yeah, I mean, that was the reason I wrote my book, and, and probably you too. Uh, you know, pe people do it, and some make a lot of money, some don't. But that is huge. And if you have a book upcoming, I think it's a great thing to add to that elevator speech. It's got to be related to what you're doing. But the title of my upcoming book is, and then when you say you published that first book, the title of my first book is No Sweat Public Speaking. Maybe it comes up in a the conversation. They say, well, what, what's the title of your second book? And you say, you know, my lawyer had these had me sign these non-disclosures. He'd kill me if I told you. <laughs> but but here again, that's a grown great way to talk about expertise. Of course, the other things is if you have titles, you know, people people like to deal with owners, people who have patents. If you have a doctorate in something, some uh, some people have a lot of alphabets after the name, but you want to make sure they understand what it is. Yeah, I've seen people well, you want, that, want to be careful with those. I mean, I, I'm always put off by people that, <laughs> you know, send me an email and they say, you know, MBA after it. I mean, to me, that's showing off a little bit. But where I think something like just saying about a book, hey, that's that's out there. That's a, an accomplishment everybody can see. Yeah. Okay. I, I'll go along with that. That's fine. Could be numbers of years in a business. You know, I've 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 been an estate planning attorney for. 25 years. This is what I do. But people want to work with experts. And one of the ways to be perceived as an expert, and you've written a book, is to write that book. You know, experts command more money for their products and services. We like to work with experts. And that is one thing to mention. Again, it doesn't have to be a book. It could be years in an industry. It could be uh, if perhaps you're an architect and you design something that people are very familiar with. Anything that gets people thinking, this guy knows what he's doing. So how many, how many has podcasts a, has have you done? You're an expert podcaster, right? Done 430. That's impressive. That makes you an expert. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yes. By, by, by necessity, we've developed a certain expertise. So just a final point on the third floor with your expertise is, and this is a big one for me, is, is try to be able to say it in... If you get it down to five words or less, that'd be fantastic. <clears throat> Excuse me. Is, is that you know too often I think people get lost because when they're giving their elevator speeches, because a they don't practice them enough, and b is having not practiced, they don't understand exactly how to be really concise with what they're saying. You know, because they're not a, they haven't done it in front of an audience, and so you know, if you get this one chance to connect with somebody, you know, people listening in the audiences, you know, one chance to connect with somebody is, this is something you need to practice as we get through the rest of the floors here. Follow this template, you know, very concise as, as Fred has done it, 
Practice, 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 practice. Okay, so um, fourth floor. Why they hire me? Well, hire me. You just said the magic word. So here we go again. Three businesses, in my case, businesses, individuals, and organizations hire me because they want to improve their networking, public speaking, and presentation skills. And we've got the rule of three in there twice. But hire me is key. Because most people, Andy, say, I work with companies. I help people, right? Mm-hmm. It's a little wishy-washy. I mean, if you're independently wealthy, God bless you, do that. But when you say, hire me, what it says is, hey, I'm really good at this. I'm proud of it. And you know what? There's some money connected with it. It's a huge pattern interrupt. Because most people don't say that. And let me give you the backstory, because it's always the backstory. And you mentioned stories. I was in my Sandler sales class. We had a new student. As always happens, the instructor had said, you know, we got a newbie today. Before we get started, let's go around the room, stand up, tell them who you are, what you do, give them your elevator speech. I stumbled over mine. Most of my classmates did. But one guy, Roy, who was sitting right next to me, said, people hire me. And everyone, Andy, wrote that down. That was huge. Now, having said that, I'll, I'll give this seminar and people, I remember a lady once raised her hand. She says, uh, got a little attitude with that. Hire me, don't you? I said, well, yeah, it's a good attitude. You want to work with a wimp or somebody's not proud of what they do? Having said that, if you're not comfortable saying it, don't. Because we already talked about the fact that delivery trumps content. But a doctor may say, become my patients. Someone might say, write me checks or become my clients. Heard a good one the other day, Andy, a lady sells real estate. And she said, customers choose me. Uh I love that one. Think about it. You fly Southwest Airlines and the pilot always says, we know you have a choice when you fly. Thanks for choosing Southwest. I love that. But it sets you apart from those folks who say, I work with high health (laughs) Now, well, the yeah, other that, important, go ahead. Well, that's very passive language. And, and yeah, being direct certainly has its benefits. I, I mean, I love the choice about choose me. I think that's actually more powerful than hire me uh, because, I don't know, it speaks about a more active selection, right? A more deliberative selection that you were the, the ultimate winner of. I, I think that, yeah, she had a, a great idea there. So, oh, yeah. So, fifth floor, just moving on well, here. Wait, let, me, let me back up. There's sure. one more word that's really important. The word because. Okay. Hire me because. Because is an influencer word. And if you think about when you're a kid, you say, well, mom, why do I have to? Because I said so. Because it's the right thing to do. So, hire me or something else. Choose me. I, I'm with you on that. Because. It gets people's attention. Makes good sense. All right. Fifth floor. So, Fifth floor is your why. Why are you doing this? Are you familiar with Simon Sinek? Sure, and I think the audience may be largely familiar with him. He wrote a great book about uh, your why. It's not what you do, it's why you do it, isn't mm-hmm. it? So, so after I say, go ahead. Well, no, go ahead. So let's talk about constructing that, construct, excuse me, constructing that part of your, of your speech. I say they do that because they know. And here's my why. Speaking opportunities are business, career, and leadership opportunities. Back to the rule of threes. Yes. And my mantra. (laughs) And that's the why. Because at that point, if you don't agree with me on that why, and that's fine, 
But we're basically over. We've got nothing to talk about. You know, it's not for everyone. That's fine. But that's my why. The why is the DNA of my elevator speech. It's the DNA of what I do. Mm-hmm. I'm sure I'm sure you have a why. Yeah, actually, yeah, it's interesting to bring that up. We're, you know, with members of my team, we're and sort of going through a process. We're sort of rethinking that whole thing. Because, yeah, we probably think, God, we weren't as clear about that as we needed to be. All right. Well, you know, sometimes you got to pivot. Isn't that the word they use these days? Instead of change, we're always constantly pivoting and, and fine-tuning things. But that's my why. And if I go back, I say businesses, individuals, and organizations hire me because they want to improve their networking, public speaking, and presentation skills. And they do that because they know speaking opportunities are business, career, and leadership opportunities. Now, I can add on a sixth floor. It's a little more of the uh, expert, why you're an expert, say they also know we perceive really good speakers as experts. We like to work with experts, right? Yeah. And then we could we go to the seventh floor, which, which is your USP, your unique selling proposition, what you do, and say, I show them how to develop, practice, and deliver a knock-your-socks-off presentation with no, no sweat. sweat. So right. it gives me an opportunity to have a rule of three again, and then Use that tagline. Use that tagline. So do you wear a, like a sweat banner on your head when you teach? <laughs> I carry a stick of deodorant with me, you know, or two <laughs> sticks. <yeah. laughs> so, yeah, no, he, all right. So eighth floor, and it's sort of we'll finish it off with the last floor, is, is you've got an ask of people. So <laughs> elevator speech, and you know, I think it's perfectly valid. And I know some people may disagree, and I know oftentimes see when I see sales professionals practicing or I'm in a network meeting and people are practicing on me, is they really start sort of fumbling around when they're trying to come up with what the ask is at the end of that. Well, I could say, you know, enough about me. What do you do? Mm-hmm. But you could turn into a uh, prospecting tool and say, hey, enough about me and public speaking and presentation skills. Well, what do the folks at your place do about networking, public speaking, and presentation skills training? And then you turn it into a prospecting question. Mm-hmm. But let me make let me make another point about this uh, sure. template because here again you can skip floor, start on a different floor. I may stand up in front of a group and raise my hand because when you raise your hand, more hands go up. Who believes speaking opportunities are business, career, and leadership opportunities? And as those hands go up, say, "I'm Fred Miller. I speak, coach, and write about networking, public speaking, and presentation skills." So you've got a lot of flexibility when you do it by the floor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of flexibility, right? Because you have the parts and pieces. Well, I mean, again, it's a methodical process to use to to construct an elevator speech, an elevator story. That, as you said, you can move the pieces around depending on the audience and depending on how you're presenting it. But at least then you've you've got a structure for creating one. And and this is again, yeah, you know, if you're listening, is it's. Despite what you're hearing about, you shouldn't have, and, I, and I've often, oftentimes said is, you know, salespeople too much rely on this pitch, but the pitches tend to be, you know, product service oriented, not who they are, what they can do for the person uh, they're talking to, which which is a different thing altogether. And and we all need to have these. Yeah, because you, you want somebody sitting there who understands exactly what you're doing. They say, I need to do that. I I need to get on a podcast show and be interviewed by somebody like Andy. That's going to be great public. Publicity for me. That's huge. That's expertise. He doesn't interview people unless they're really good. I got to get on that show. Yeah, especially this show. Exactly. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Let me, let me make a point about the one-on-one, though, because this sure. is very important. And what you want to do is disqualify. That's another goal. You don't want to waste major time on minor people, minor prospects. And I like what you said initially about asking questions. One way to do this, we, we meet at an event. We have our name tags on so we know who we are. And you say, Fred, I'm Andy. What do you do? And I'll say, Andy, thanks for asking. I, I'm going to answer your question by asking you one. Have you ever been sitting in an audience and you're watching and listening to a speaker and you're thinking to yourself, boy, that guy's good. I mean, I mean, he is really good. He's articulate, authentic, very entertaining. The guy obviously has a passion for what he does. And I'm, I'm getting a lot out of this presentation. Man, I wish I could do that. I'm the guy they hire to develop, practice, and deliver presentations like that. Now, hopefully at that point, he says, oh, man, we got to talk right now. Well, we're not going to talk now. We're going to talk later. But if he doesn't say that, I need to go for no. And I'll say, everyone who hires me knows speaking opportunities are business, career, and leadership opportunities. You, you probably don't know anyone who wants to improve their networking, public speaking, and presentation skills, do you? And that's a very short period of time. And we're either going to have a future conversation or not. Mm-hmm. Do you like that? Asking with a question like that? Sure. No, I'm a huge believer in, in <clears throat> excuse me, leading with questions and, and having a, an ask. And your ask, what you're asking is, is going to force someone to, to think because you do it in a way that's just not a straight yes or no response. So, and that's, that's the way that you want those types of questions to be phrased. And that's what interviewers do on podcasts, right? <laughs> We've been known to do yeah. that. <laughs> No, it is good. No, I, I particularly like that one. And, and actually, I had to work on that because I had a uh, I did a weekend retreat re- retreat with a very upscale travel agency once. And they said most of their elevator speeches are at cocktail parties. Mm-hmm. And here again, they wanted to disqualify very quickly. And they came up with something along the lines of, have, have you ever talked to somebody and they come back from a vacation and all they can talk about is how wonderful it was and the person who set the thing up went above and beyond the accommodations, the travel, and they just won't stop talking. Wouldn't you love to have a vacation like that? I'm the person they hire to plan, uh, guide or whatever, you know, three mm-hmm. things, sure. vacations like that. Yeah, because it gets people thinking, because you're right, when you ask questions, they go into their hard drive they try to pick out answers, and they may or may not have them. You also want to have a Twitter-type elevator speech, because sometimes I've been in networking events, there are so many people, and they'll say, okay, real quickly, in X number of words, tell us who you are and what you do. And I would say, I'm Fred Miller. I speak, coach, and write about networking, public speaking, and presentation skills. And here again, it's not just what you say, but how you say it. Mm-hmm. How many times, Andy, have you been to a networking event and somebody gets up there, you have no idea what they do. They talk so quickly, or they mumble. <laughs> it's just, it's terrible. Yeah, and they may have no, great content. Absolutely. Oh, they man. may have. What? Well, yeah, I shudder to think that that probably was me at some point too. So, um, you know, it's just it's practice. Like everything, as you said, just to sort of wrap up is is at the beginning is this elevator speech. You know, that's a great word to use because this is a form of public speaking. And like everything, is it requires preparation and practice. And I think too frequently in sales, maybe some because the personality type of people in sales, so on, we think we can sort of 
improv our way through things, oh, sort no. of sort of bluster no. and and you have to always sort of keep in mind is that you know people are making a, a choice to invest some time in you as you have to give them something of value in return for that investment of time. And if you're not, well then that's that's just gonna be the end. You're not gonna get any more time at all. So practice your speech, hone it down, make it clear, make it crisp, make it tight, practice in front of peers, practice pack, practice in front of family and or whoever you need to get people to just listen to it or record it. Listen. Well, back. here's a great way. Here's a great way. Take your iPad and record yourself, video and audio. Sure. The first time you use it, turn the sound off. Just observe yourself. Nonverbal communication trumps verbal. Very important. You may have a twitch. You may people believe what they see, and if you don't look sincere, mm-hmm. if your eyes are twitching or you're standing, if you're, I, I remember coaching a guy once. He was rocking. I asked him if he'd ever been on a ship. <laughs> Second time you use it, just listen. Don't watch. You know how's your cadence? Are you pronunciating and enunciating all your words? How are your pauses? Your inflection. Third time, watch and listen because you'll see and hear what the audience sees and hears. And the fourth time, get somebody to watch it with you because we all have blind spots. Sometimes we're too tough on ourselves. Sometimes we we miss some things that mm-hmm. really have to be cleaned up. But that's a tremendous way to practice that elevator speech. What you want to do is rehearse, rehearse, rehearse. So when you deliver it, it seems somewhat oh un- unrehearsed. Right. Well, good. Well, Fred. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, tell folks how they can find out more about you. My website, No Sweat Public Speaking. I've got a lot of articles on there, videos. Uh, you can have some of these free templates. Click on, there'll be some links there. Send you a template on the elevator speech, express elevator speech. There's even a speaker's template for those who want to take a step further and speak in front of a group because speaking opportunities are business, career, and leadership opportunities. Great. Appreciate you having me as a guest today, Andy. Hey, no, it's been my pleasure. Thank you very much for joining me. And friends, thank you for spending this time with us today. Remember, come back, join us again tomorrow. Uh, thanks again for, well, I was going to say, take a minute. I'm a little confused here today. Is uh, Take a minute, please. No go sweat. to iTunes. <laughs> yeah, go to iTunes, subscribe, leave a review for Accelerate, even though you just caught me stumbling all over my words. I want to hear what you say about what we can do to make this a more valuable experience for you. So again, thanks for joining me. Until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. 